This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. This morning's scripture reading, as it is every week, is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Again, like the last few weeks, I will read verse 9, and then we will pray together the prayer, the Lord's pattern prayer. This week, though, this week, verses 14 and 15 are added, so I'm going to read that. Okay, so I'm making it as complicated as I possibly can for us this morning. There will be three or four of you in each row who will try to keep reading and I'll just give you the evil eye to tell you stop, okay? So here we go. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And these are Jesus' words after the Lord's Prayer in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is God's word. Please be seated. Every week, uh, as a preacher, as a person who prepares God's word, you're always nervous because you realize that something you say, and some weeks most of what you say, uh, hopefully is true, but it doesn't connect with your heart. Um, and sometimes it's not because there's anything wrong with you as a preacher. Uh, it's, it's, it could be that. I hope that's not what it is. But this week, I felt a heaviness uh, as I was preparing for this message because uh, forgiveness is so central to the Christian life and it's also very scandalous. And the more that I read and studied and prayed and thought about forgiveness, the more I realized uh, the closer we got to this week that I felt uh, exposed. I felt, I feel vulnerable. Uh, and I'm not sure why that is. I think some of it is because uh, I don't feel as though I've been radically sinned against. And uh, therefore, I don't feel like I've learned forgiveness and forgiving others at a level that some of you have. And so I think that's some of it. But I think more of it for me is I realized uh, how familiar I am with the language and the doctrine of God's forgiving my sins. I talk about it a lot. I teach my children about it. And yet I realized that one of the reasons I feel so vulnerable and I feel maybe a vacancy in my heart and teaching this about forgiveness is because I'm not sure that I, when I'm asking for forgiveness, I do it with much specificity. I think I just tend to confess my sin and ask for forgiveness in general ways. And it doesn't pierce me to the heart as often as I wish it did. So I want to start there and I want to let you know that my prayer this morning is that God would use me anyway and that he would use this time uh, to teach us how to love like Jesus and to teach us how to increasingly receive God's forgiveness in Jesus because that really is the only thing that will transform us. That really is the only thing that will empower us to walk with God and then forgive others when they sin against us. Oh, 
as I was reflecting on all that I just shared, I thought about when was the first time that I actually felt sinned against and I felt like in order to move forward in my relationship with this person, I was going to have to absorb the debt. Because you see, if someone sins against you, there's nothing they can do to pay you back ever. And in order to forgive them, you have to absorb that debt. You have to take it in to yourself. And to forgive them from the heart, you have to pay for it. And I thought about when I was a child, had this really emotional connection to 50 cent pieces. Like not 50 cents the wrapper, but the, the half dollar coins. You know, it's bigger than a, than a quarter and it's a useless coin, right? Because you can't put it in any machine. You can't put it in any slot. It's useless, but it's cool because they're rare, I guess. And so as a child, I loved collecting those. And I had this plastic crayon, probably about three feet tall with a cylinder. Some of you are shaking your head. And there's a slot at the top and you put coins in it. It's like a big piggy bank. It was awesome. It was blue. It was clear, but blue bottom, blue top. And I remember my grandfather, anytime he would go to the bank, he would ask them, do you have any 50 cent pieces? And if they did, he would get as many as he could and he would bring them to me and I loved it. And one day I was counting them and the, the, I don't remember what the amount was, but I just visually remember it was at least halfway full. So that was a lot to me. And I ran out and I told my parents and uh, there were some other people in the room and I told them the amount that I had counted. And if it's like my math at all, which we'll find out later, it was close, but never right. But it was a lot to me. And I told them about it, put it back in the hiding place. A week later, my grandfather brought me some more and I went to put them in there and uh, they were almost all gone. It was almost empty. And I was freaking out. I took it to my parents and I asked them if they did something with them as punishment or a cruel joke. And they said, what are you talking about? And I showed them and I just remember the looks on their faces. They realized how big the deal this was to me. As it turns out, a family member that had access to our house uh, was there the day that I showed them how many I had and watched where I hid it. And um, they came into our house when we weren't there and they stole them. And they didn't just steal them because they thought 50 cent pieces were cool. They took them to the bank and cashed them. How weird is that? And so when they cashed them, uh, they had money, which means she couldn't give them back, which meant she could never repay me. And I remember as a child uh, being so violated feeling so, um, uh, I guess violated is the best word I can use to describe the insecurity I felt that this person I trusted had stolen from me, a kid. And I remember, I couldn't even read yet, but she wrote a letter and, and um, she uh, apologized. And there was a weekly payment of money back, but I didn't care. So when my parents would get the check, they'd cash it and put it in the bank, but the crayon was still empty. And that was the first time I realized, even on a small level, that when someone sins against you, they can never repay you. And in order to extend forgiveness, you have to absorb their debt. Now, many of you uh, have experienced or are experiencing the tension you feel when you realize that fact. When someone sins against you and you realize to move past this, to extend forgiveness, you will have to absorb the debt at some level. That's how forgiveness works. And forgiveness is at the center of the Christian life. 
And that's really difficult because it's also one of the most scandalous things in the Christian life. That is to say, it's one of the biggest stumbling blocks, I think, to discipleship is the reality, the ridiculousness, seemingly, of forgiving someone, of absorbing the debt when you did not deserve to be sinned against. And I think some of us may think, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's what I would have said was the most scandalous thing about Christianity. And I think that's because most of us don't actually ask forgiveness from our heart. Most of us ask for a a mere apology. We say, I'm sorry. And the way we were taught to get around that or through that or over that is to sweep things underneath the rug. We do this in our relationships or to minimize things or to give someone the cold shoulder until we don't feel as pained anymore. And then that way has an interesting way of sneaking up in our conversations later as well. So you see, true forgiveness is not oftentimes experienced in our relationship, but when it is, it's always more than a mere apology. Forgiveness is more than a mere apology. True forgiveness requires a payment by the one sinned against, not merely a reasoned apology from the sinner. And that's normally how we treat it. The one who sinned against someone experiences a little bit of relief if they can reason an apology and beg and ask. But the reality is forgiveness is only complete when the person sinned against is willing and able to absorb the debt and extend forgiveness to that person. So in the Lord's prayer, why would Jesus put it in there, right? Well, I believe Jesus realized even as justified children of God, because by the way, the prayer starts with our father, which means this is a prayer of God's children asking for forgiveness. I think Jesus puts it in there because he realized we will still sin. We'll still be sinned against, even in the church, and we will still sin against others, even as Christians. And Jesus is telling us, I believe, to go to God daily to receive anew and experience anew God's forgiveness, fresh, every day, And when we experience God's forgiveness fresh every day, it will then flow to us and through us to others. And I think that's what this petition is about. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And for today, uh, I want to try to do this in two succinct uh, points and it makes a sort of sentence. So here it is. I think one way to explain what Jesus is saying is that he's saying when there is a recognition of our daily debt, there is a requisite response to our debtors, all right? When there is a recognition of our daily debt, that would be to him, there is a requisite response to our debtors. So first, what is a recognition of daily debt? I think the first thing to notice in this verse is that out of all the ways the Bible talks about sin, right? Falling short, missing the mark, being polluted uh, by wrongdoing, being unclean. Here, the way Jesus decides to talk about it is in terms of debt, in terms of owing God something. I think he says this because especially as children, we owe God total, tireless loyalty. We owe him zealous love to him and to our neighbors all day, every day, every minute of every day, and not just kind of good, but Jesus good, that is to say, perfectly. Every minute of every day, we owe God and our neighbor tireless love, loyalty, and zealousness for God's name. 
And if we don't do that, we are in debt to God because that's what we owed him. How often do we think about our lives and sin this way, that we owe God complete obedience, and if we don't live that way, we are now in debt to him because that is exactly what we owed him. And you know, this isn't just simply asking for forgiveness of sins that we committed. It's also forgiveness of sins of omission. That is to say, things that we should have done that we failed to do. This is in relationships. This is in our marriage. This is as we raise kids. This is with our neighbor. This is in our thought life. This is in our words. This is in our actions. It's everything in life. And in fact, when you say it that way, it's overwhelming. And remember, this is a prayer to our Father. And I think one of the things that keeps me from experiencing God's love and therefore grief over my sin is that I forget to remember that sin against God is more than sin against his law. It's actually sin against his love for me. Sin is personal. Sin is relational. And I think as I reflected on this, I believe one of the reasons that I don't experience God's forgiveness at the level of depth that I wish is because I really do stay at a very general level oftentimes of confession and asking God to forgive my sin. So there are lots of ways that I could sort of get at what I'm trying to here, but I'm just gonna pick one. I'm gonna take the sin of greed, okay? All of us are greedy at some level um, for material possessions of some type. So let's just say greed. Uh, I can experience greed. Um, I can even covet something that I see and I am greedy for it. And I begin in my heart and my actions to live for that thing, okay? Now I can pray and confess and ask God to forgive my greed. And I think that that is a great first step for me. Uh, But I believe that I can actually experience the relational breach that happens when I sin against God. When When I say something like, Father, forgive me for my greed. I'm greedy because in my heart, I believe that you're not giving me everything I need. I believe that if I work harder to have more possessions, that I'll be happier than I would even if I just had you. I believe that if I had, if I was, had more things, that I would gain more respect from others and from myself, that I would be able to define myself as more successful. So that's why I'm greedy for more and more things, more and more money, more and more praise of, from others, more and more, you name it. I believe as we start to ask forgiveness, not just for general things, but specific things, being particularly particular, which I get that from the Westminster Confession of Faith, which says that it is man's duty to endeavor to repent of sin particularly, not just in general ways. And so I believe that all of us will begin to experience forgiveness as more than just sin against God's law, but actually sin against God's love, the more detailed and specific we get about why we're sinning. And I believe it's when we do that, that we will experience God's forgiveness in a way more transformative way. I think when we experience with specificity, I have a lot of S's today. I guess, Uh, when we experience God's forgiveness with specificity, I think we begin to realize how big our debt actually is to God. 
It reminds me of Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is talking about forgiveness and sin because Peter goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, if someone sins against me, how often am I to forgive them? Seven times? Now, why did he say seven? I've heard and read, and it sounds plausible to me, that the reason he said seven is because in traditional Jewish teaching, it was a good thing and right to forgive someone three times. If they sinned against you in the same way three times, you should forgive them all three times. And that was really gracious. So it's like Peter says, well, Jesus is kind of even more gracious, I think. And so maybe if I double it and then add one more, that'll be enough, which is what he did. He took the standard teaching of forgiving someone three times. He doubled it, which is six. And then he said, why don't I throw in another one, which is seven. And he probably was really proud of himself when he did it. And Jesus says, let me tell you a parable. He says, there was a king who decided he wanted to settle his debts with his servants. So he calls one of his servants in and his servant is before him. And he says, it's time for you to pay your debt. And the size of the debt is so ridiculous which is part of the purpose, that in the ESV study Bible notes, I'd never seen this before, the amount of money that the servant would have owed the master in today's money would have been $6 billion. It's ridiculous, $6 billion. And then, this is what the servant says, give me more time and I'll pay you back. No, that's impossible. And that's the point. There's no way the man could have paid back the master. But the master, seeing him, Jesus says, had pity on him and he forgave him. And he said, you may go. So right then the master decides he's going to absorb $6 billion worth of debt and set this man free. And that is essentially what you and I have to reckon with every time we go back to the father is that the amount of debt that we owe daily to him is so large that we never could pay him back. And every day we must come as the prodigal son, the one who had a good and loving father, decided to go and live our own way and then come back to him. And I think every time in our conscience a little bit, we think, oh, I need to be better. I need to act better. I need to live better. But every time we go back daily, as Jesus is inviting us to, and asking our father for forgiveness, it's like the prodigal son's father. Every time we get the same response. No, I love you. Come to me. And so daily, we must recognize our debt. So then daily, we can increasingly experience the forgiveness that the Father gives us in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is saying, we need to pray for this every day, even as children. In the same way, we need to pray for daily bread because if we don't have a house, uh, shelter, food, clothing, we will die. If we don't come every day to experience afresh the grace of our Father in forgiving us through Jesus Christ, our conscience will be ripped to shreds. Our heart will grow cold. And one day we'll say, you know what? I don't think I need to go back to the Father. I think I got this okay. Because we'll fool ourselves by living sanitary lives. We don't live that badly, do we? At least we're better than such and such, so and so, those people. But it is the daily coming to the Father and asking him forgiveness specifically that will warm our heart. And we'll receive forgiveness from the Father like a river 
And when we receive that river, there's a proper response. And that is that it will overflow to those who sin against us. And that is the second and last point. So now there is a requisite response to our debtors. So when there is a recognition of our daily debt, we experience afresh this river of God's forgiveness. And then flowing through us is that river towards others, those who owe us, those who have sinned against us. So now I wanna talk about verses 14 and 15, which we added this week. After this, Jesus decides he wants to go back to this whole idea of forgiveness after he teaches the Lord's Prayer. And he says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So obviously Jesus is saying you earn God's forgiveness, right? No, although that might be what it looks like. That's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that forgiving others is evidence that you have received forgiveness from God. And we're gonna unpack this a little bit, okay? Jesus is pointing out that those who experience God's forgiveness will forgive others. They will forgive others. Remember the image. I've heard of this image before and it's been helpful to me. As I go specifically and receive forgiveness for specific sins daily from the Father, his forgiveness is experienced like a river of love, like a river of acceptance. And as that river continues to flow into me, it must overflow into other people. And in our hardness of heart, sometimes we build up a dam, right? So we can stop that river so we don't have to forgive others. Sometimes I do that. But Jesus is saying, no, as you do this daily, as you go back to the Father daily and ask forgiveness for specific sins, your heart will be softened. And that dam will get a little crack in it and the crack will get bigger and bigger and bigger and then it will be gone. But guess what? It's not gone once and for all because we're gonna build that thing up brick by brick again, but that's why we go back daily. So you may say, okay, I understand the river thing a little bit, but if this is supposed to be how it works, how I can forgive other people, that requisite response, then why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to forgive other people? Who in your heart right now are you reticent to forgive? And, and I'm not saying you should be there now. I'm, I'm not saying that you should have forgiven them a long time ago. I don't know. But there's a difference that we learn from verses 14 and 15 of saying, I long to forgive this person. I want to forgive this person like I've been forgiven. And with God's help, I will get there. That's different than saying, I will never forgive this person because what they did is unforgivable. In the second case, Jesus would say, then I'm not sure you've actually experienced God's forgiveness of you. That's the scandalous part of forgiveness. That's why it's so hard. The clearest mark of God's grace in your life is a generous spirit towards others, even when they've sinned against you. The clearest mark of God's grace in your life is a generous spirit towards others, even when they have forgiven you. When they've, when they've sinned against you and done something selfish and cruel, grace responds with tenderness and a desire to reconcile. Grace absorbs violence and offers peace. That's the scandal of the cross. That's the scandal 
of true forgiveness. It's from the heart you can absorb violence, oppression, betrayal, lying, stealing, nastiness, abuse, and it actually extend forgiveness. This week, as I was thinking about this sermon, um, my heart and mind were totally wrecked by what happened in Charleston. I thought to myself, Damien, I think this is what messed me up, honestly. Damien, your idea and experience of forgiveness is so shallow. How are you gonna stand up there on Sunday and talk about forgiveness when nine people were killed and they have families to deal with the sin against them? There are these people who have to deal with this. That was the first thing I thought. And then a couple days later, when uh, the young man who uh, committed the murders was caught and brought into custody, uh, there was a video that I saw that many of you probably saw where the families were brought into the courtroom and they confronted the young man. He was on a TV screen and they were in the courtroom. And this is what the first family member said. It was a woman. And the first words, at least on the video, out of her mouth were, I forgive you. And I thought, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. That's just a reaction. She hasn't thought about this, but she had thought about it because after that, she recounted to him all of the debt that she would have to absorb. Not all, but at least some. She said, because of you, I will never get to speak with her again. Because of you, I will never get to hold her again. Because of you, I will never see her again. She had begun to realize what it would cost her, the debt that she would have to absorb to extend forgiveness. And then the next person came up and extended forgiveness. And then the next. And they did ask him to repent. They offered him the grace and gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, that really challenged me. And I think it probably challenges you too. And it ought to challenge you. And the only way I can look at something that is unforgivable is to realize that I am first a sinner and then sinned against. It is to realize that I think in order to truly forgive someone first, if I think I can help them change, I need them to experience the exact pain as I did. I need them, I need to hurt them the way they have hurt me. Don't we all think that way at first? Isn't that normally our immediate response? We have this tendency to think that the only way that people will change is if we retaliate. But that's not at all how God changed us. Paul says in Romans that it is God's kindness that draws us to repentance. And then later on in Romans, Paul says that while we were yet sinners, that is to say enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us. You see, where am I gonna get the power to forgive? I pray and I hope none of us have to ever face anything that those families face in that courtroom. 
But I know no matter how small or big, when I or we have to absorb a debt and offer forgiveness to someone, the only place we're gonna get the power to do that is going back to the source of the river. You see, we have to go back and we have to ask God for forgiveness of our sins specifically. And as we do that, the specificity of those sins will show us how we ought to grieve and it will show us God's forbearance. It will show us the cost that God had to absorb, mainly sending his son to die for his enemies. And as you and I experience that at a deeper and deeper level, the river of God's love will pour into us in such a way that we will not be able to build a dam and it will flow through us to other people. The source of forgiveness, the source and power to absorb the debt of others is only found in the substitution of Jesus on the cross for our sins. That's the only place we're gonna get it. Those families in Charleston, they didn't get it anywhere else and they wouldn't try to tell you they got it anywhere else. And I read some of the comments on a website and you know, we should never do that. But I read some of the comments and I thought to myself, hmm, thought to myself a lot of things. What I will say is I thought to myself, this is, this is just crazy to anyone who doesn't understand the gospel. There, there, is, there is no forgiveness here. But you see, even when we forgive someone, we can't control if they're gonna change. But that's not really the purpose. The purpose we gain from forgiving someone is freedom from that debt to relinquish it to God. And also we get to extend God's love to others. And that's exactly what they did in that courtroom. And I believe that is something very similar to what Jesus has in mind when he says the natural response to those who are experiencing God's forgiveness will be that increasing river that is washing over you of love and forgiveness will flow through you. And that's where you'll find the power to absorb the debt. So when we see ourselves as first sinner at the feet of our king who owes the $6 billion debt, Hopefully we won't be like what happens in the second half of that parable. Do you remember it? The servant who was forgiven $6 billion leaves, probably taking a deep breath. He's walking down the road and he sees one of his servants who owes him some money. And this is where I did some quick math because unfortunately they didn't have the exact amount in the current dollars for this guy. So this is where I'm probably pretty close to my math, but I promise you I'm not right because I never am. I think it was something like $8,500. It definitely was one third of his annual salary. $6 billion forgiven, $8,500. This is what he does to him. He walks up, puts his arms around him, shakes him, throws him in jail. You pay me back. You owe me. Well, people who saw this thought it was so ridiculous, as you and I think it is, that they went and told the king. And guess what the king did? He went and he said, you wicked servant. I forgave you your enormous debt. He says, great debt. I forgave you all of your debt and you would not forgive your servant. Well, neither will I forgive you. Puts him in jail. You see, that's ridiculous to us. And that's the point of the parable. Jesus is saying, if someone forgave you $6 billion and absorbed 6 billion, wouldn't you absorb 
8,500? Well, Jesus is saying, yes, you would if you really experienced forgiveness of the 6 billion. If you realize the weightiness of what you owe that was forgiven you, that love will flow out of you into other people. And so this is where I'll end. When we see ourselves as first sinner and second sinned against, we know that our only hope is in Christ. We cannot pay God back. Even if we were perfect, that's what we owe him anyway. We wouldn't deserve anything. You don't praise your toaster when it pops up toast, do you? Because that's what it's made for. When you and I are made to love perfectly, to live perfectly, and when we don't, we owe God a debt we cannot pay and he forgives us in Christ. And when it is our only hope is in Christ, we forfeit our right to hold others' faults against them. We forfeit that right. When we come to Jesus and say, have pity on us, we can never pay you back. And the power of the gospel is that that is where it will be changed. That is where we will find peace. That is where we will find hope. Let's pray together. Father, I am um, thankful for your mercy and for your grace. And I'm thankful for your word that teaches us, uh, that never changes, uh, that shapes us. And uh, I know that others like me in this room have remaining questions and turmoil maybe in our heart and grief. I pray that you by your spirit would meet us there and that you would uh, calm our hearts, bring us peace that surpasses all understanding. We do pray as well for the families of the victims in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, We pray for them that you would continue to sustain them. We thank you for their amazing overflow of mercy to this young man who took something from them that can never be repaid and they are choosing to absorb the debt because you have absorbed their debt. It's amazing. It's only possible because of your spirit. We also pray for the young man that he would repent and we pray that you would forgive him and your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.